I'm Ed Gross, and you're listening to CloserWeekly.com's classic TV and film podcast, where we celebrate the golden age of television and movies, then and now. If you were to look at the past 70 years of television history, you'd discover that actress Betty White has starred in the show in every one of those decades. From 1953's Life with Elizabeth to 2010's Hot in Cleveland, with the Mary Tyler Moore show and the Golden Girls, among others, in between. This discovery was so exciting to us, it became the basis of an article at CloserWeekly.com. And one of the experts we talked to was Jim Colucci, author of The Golden Girls Forever. We had such a good time talking about the different shows of Betty White that we decided to turn it into this episode of the podcast, our conversation beginning with the fact that Betty, at age 97, is still a sought-after celebrity by the paparazzi. Isn't that amazing, at, at age 97-plus? Exactly. To be followed by paparazzi? I mean, when has that ever happened? When does anybody reach age 97? Well, there's but when, yeah. when does anybody who, you know, we uh, this is, our society writes off old people, so when do... Some, when does someone that old get followed around and, and have their daily activities tracked like that? Yeah, that's the it's the Golden Girls effect and, and all the other great things she's done, but the, really the Golden Girls effect. And it's funny, I was just talking with somebody, forget from what magazine yesterday, who was just saying, that, oh, it was actually a woman who, uh, I was talking to people from the media, but this was a woman who is an actress herself and teaches a sitcom writing class. And she was just saying to me last night at, at an event that, she teaches the sitcom writing class and every semester it seems like more and more of these people taking the class who granted are in their twenties. So they weren't around when the golden girls was on right. the first time. Um, more and more of them, when they talk about what shows they want to write a spec for or what shows they use as their own common reference points in the class, it's golden girls. Really? And she, she, the woman was saying, you know, these are 25 year old guys. And when I say, you know, when we try to find common ground, because of course, these days, you know, when I took sitcom writing classes 20 years ago, everybody watched Frasier and Friends. And so we all had very common touch points in right. terms of what a multi-camera sitcom was. These days, you can't take anything for granted that anybody's seen anything. So, because there's too much. Yeah. But the common touch point they keep finding is Golden Girls. And she's like, why? I kept asking myself, why is it that 25-year-old men or, or and a lot of course women, but men she was most surprised by are watching the Golden Girls, and it's that same, and it is getting more and more popular rather than less and less, and it's that same thing about the magic of that show that it was perfectly cast, including Betty doing with Rose what no one else could ever have done, and perfectly written, perfectly the joke writing was great, the the costuming was great, and so I, I think that Be our interest in Betty is that first of all she won our hearts with the role of Rose. Second of all, I think that uh, we all marvel at someone who defies age and at 88 hosted Saturday Night Live and can talk fat, can talk like a trucker when she, when we want her to for a joke. And right. yet we know is also a sweet grandmotherly type. And, you know, add to that, I think, I mean, if I can speak for myself and extrapolate it at least a little bit to the audience members my age, I grew up watching the Golden Girls. It premiered when I was a teenager. Now I'm at that age where we lose parents and certainly grandparents. And here's somebody we saw as a mother figure back in front, starting from the 80s or earlier, and she's still going strong. And how, how, I mean, how much do we love that? So when Betty goes out to a doctor's appointment and you see her, just the paparazzi shot of her, all made up and looking great at 97, 
I think that lifts everyone's day. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I didn't, I didn't put that in perspective, but yeah, you're right because it's like I'm sitting there going, "Why?" But that's a perfect explanation. Well done, sir. Well, yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, I mean, let, let, let's face it. I started watching the Golden Girls when it premiered when I was just about to turn 16. Right. Watched it with my mom. My mom is now gone. She would only be 82, but Betty's 97 and is still with us. So, yeah. you know, talk about transferring those feelings. Betty made me laugh and gave me that warm feeling and gave me great moments with my own mother and now is still here. And yeah. so, of course, we treasure her. Betty White, national treasure. That's right. Yeah, she is. Oh, <laughs> she is. I don't think anybody, I mean, uh, that could be a facetious headline, but I don't think anybody would argue with it. Nope. Everybody thinks she's a national treasure. Absolutely. You know, now how familiar are you with her career outside of Golden Girls? And I ask because she's been in a bunch of shows. I'm not even talking about the game shows or the stuff where she played herself. Um, like, do you go back with your knowledge to like early on for her? Yeah, somewhat. I mean, I can't say I'm encyclopedic about it because I didn't need to focus on that sure. for the book. But um, I made that video, Betty White Lines, in 2010. I don't know if you've ever seen it. No, I, I haven't. Oh, go on YouTube yeah. and look up Betty White Lines. And it was my husband and a friend of ours who's a really talented filmmaker. And I um, wrote and produced and acted in the uh, music video, which was a spoof of the 80s hit, White Lines. But we made it Betty White Lines. And cool. so... In order to do that, we, of course, went back through her entire career and pulled video and sound clips from everything from Life with Elizabeth, her 50s sitcom, through the most recent thing we could do in 2010, which was the pilot episode of Hot in Cleveland. Uh, but, of course, yeah, she did live television the moment the TV cameras were plugged in in L.A. and that did early sitcoms with Life with, Life with Elizabeth and you know, she had in between Mary Tyler Moore show and Golden Girls, she had her own show that that didn't go for very long, but she did lots of guest spots. And so, I mean, she's been everywhere. That's amazing. Seriously. Uh, well, then let's 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 go back. I, whatever thoughts you may have about the show or what you think Betty brought to it or, you know, what not or any any interesting t- tidbit you might have about it uh, and wh- where you don't have anything, we'll skip. That's it. That's how we do okay, things. Okay, sure. Sure. <laughs> so, but let's go back to Life with Elizabeth, which ran from 53 to 55. Right. You know, that was in Life with Elizabeth was in the early days when obviously sitcoms were just figuring out what they are. And I Love Lucy was really helping with that. And as, as a result, I think that the, the formula at the time was domestic sitcoms set in the home. I mean, it was very 50s and very gender roles, stereotypical. Um, the, the the era, I mean, but it it meant that shows were set in the home and it was a, a somewhat wacky wife driving her husband crazy. And that was a, it came from the radio era, too, which was what shows were like. Right. So I think that Life with Elizabeth was in that mold. It was in the mold of shows of its time. And it certainly caps. It, it certainly um, uh, was able to uh, take advantage of Betty's TV experience in that she was comfortable in front of the camera. She'd been really getting the best training on the job training there could be in television. And so, I, I mean, I can't say that it probably broke any molds or if it were to be airing today would be the thing we would love Betty for right. because she's done so much work that is more innovative probably in, in our 2019 eyes. But it certainly was important that here she was in 1953 and at the time was on the vanguard. Well, then, then that brings us to Sue Ann Nivens, of course, on the Mary Tyler Moore Show. 
uh, well, you know, that was, that was such kismet the way that happened. And, you know, I've heard them, I've heard Betty tell the story. I'd heard Mary Tyler Moore tell the story about how, when they were creating this character of Sue Ann, who was only meant to be a one-time thing because she was going to be cheating with Lars Lindstrom, Phyllis's husband. And when they kind of came up with the idea that she would be the sickeningly sweet homemaker with a nymphomaniac streak. Uh, and they said, you know, a real Betty White type. And they started thinking they were going to look around for Betty White type. And then because Mary and her husband, Grant Tinker, were such good friends with Betty and Alan Ludden, her husband, uh, I, I don't remember whether it was Mary or someone else, but Mary certainly warmed to the idea when they said, why don't we just get Betty White? And it that role so captured what we love about Betty and I think Rose then did too, because Betty is a genius, a brilliant woman, as we saw from her game show appearances, so quick-witted. And, you know, it's, it, it, of course, in, in past days of sexism, we didn't give women credit for, for being smart. And here Betty was smart and beautiful and funny and all in one package. But Betty also has that warmth to her, like Sue Ann does. It was both parts that they were looking for in Sue Ann. She has that warmth to her, and that's that grandmotherly thing I talked about. And when you meet her, she is so polite and pleasant and warm and makes you feel like she's happy to meet you, and even though she's meeting millions of people, I'm sure. But she's got that real personable warmth. And yet the flip side of that, which you don't find in a lot of people, is that she can be as dirty as a sailor. and it's that wit. Well, she'll go for the dirty joke if it makes you laugh. Right. And so a lot of times when you meet people, they're either one or the other, they're either grandmotherly and they're old gosh. And like, they just seem like that's all there is to them. Or you meet people who are, have a biting wit, but they're always a biting wit and they never, they're never off. And it seems like that the wit could be at your expense when you meet them. And Betty is manages to combine both in one person where in real life and everyday life and interactions, she is polite and lovely and sweet and will make you feel great would never turn that wit on you like a sword. But unless you, unless it goes for a good joke where it makes everybody laugh. Oh yeah. You know, Hey, look, I used to love nothing more than when she would, when Murray would say something, you know, to her slot, you know, sort of snippy and he, she just said, Oh Murray. And she'd rub her hands on his bald head and say, yeah, so bald. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, exactly. You, it's like he wouldn't even feel the knife going in, right? Like she could, she could lubricate that insult so well that it made it that much more hilarious because it became so passive aggressive. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Well, I think when you combine sweetness <laughs> and rapier wit, it comes out passive aggressive, which I find hilarious. Oh yeah. Now after after Mary, of course, she did the Betty White show, which you know on on first impressions, given we had Rhoda and we had Mary and we had Lou Grant. And uh, not Mary, uh, Rhoda and Phyllis. Um, Phyllis. And Lou Grant. Yeah. So you'd think it would be a spinoff, but it wasn't. So any thoughts no. on the Betty White show? or? You know, it was a little before my time, so I know I've seen clips of it, and I, um, I, I know what it was about, that you know, she was an interior decorator, I think. Is that true? She was an interior decorator? I believe so. I believe so. I don't even remember, honestly. So, yeah, I, I don't know enough about it. I just It's interesting because the Mary Tyler Moore spinoffs, uh, Rhoda did well at first, and then had some missteps and whatever and did last, I guess it was four seasons or five seasons, something like that. So you can call it a moderate hit. 
Phyllis was not a hit, and Lou Grant was a wholly different genre, and even it wasn't the same phenomenon that Mary Tyler Moore show was. So, yeah, the spinoffs didn't seem like they were the the guaranteed path to success anyway. And it's interesting because Betty was working with George Engel on the Betty White show, right? So here it was two alums for the price of one, and they didn't go the spinoff route. And I'm saying that I don't think that was necessarily a mistake because that wasn't a guarantee anyway. But unfortunately, yeah, it didn't make it. Fair enough. Yeah, we've got one. I don't know why. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, no, this wasn't the interior decorator. I was confusing that with – with the, the Betty Davis show. This is right. Oh. She, Betty played a TV actress, uh, Joyce Whitman, star of the fictitious undercover woman series. Yeah. In a way, that's right. That was kind of like, she was playing an Andy, Angie Dickinson kind of character. Not quite the image you, know? you have of uh, Betty White. <laughs> well, maybe not, but the other thing, although she is, you know, she always has been beautiful, yeah. but the, the, uh, the other thing is that there was always an adage and it's maybe a little less true today, but you hear it when you pitch things to TV executives that, something set within the world of television is too inside yeah. for most people. Yeah. And maybe that, maybe that show suffered a little bit from that, that when you're a TV show talking about being a TV show, that's just, it's not, there's not enough relatable stuff for most people's lives, I guess. Yeah. So after that, we get, uh, what do we get? We get recurring role of mama's family, which again, I'm not sure how yeah. familiar you are with, but I guess you are. Oh, I've, your I've seen it all. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. Go well, not, I wouldn't call it enthusiasm, but I mean, actually, my husband wrote a piece for the New York Times about Mama's Family, and I had seen them all when they first were on, but we sat and watched every single one for his New York Times story. So I happened to have seen them again in, in adulthood. You know, Mama's Family, that show really evolved or changed, I should say, uh, from its original inception on the Mary Tyler Moore show when Betty would also be in it. And so that show became. It went from being kind of a uh, a really kind of a downer of a of a sketch about a down and out family and their dysfunctional relationship, where it would of course be funny, but more darkly funny, to being much more of a sunshiny, cartoony sitcom in its later in its later days. So Betty brought authenticity to Aunt Ellen whenever she could, and I was always you know she wasn't on it all the time. But when there'd be an episode when Betty was on, of course, I would take notice. I'd be like, oh, good. This is going to be a better one. Right. Because she's on it. Because she's on it. And, you know, Rue McClanahan, too, was great. But given a very limited role that she didn't care for, uh, so it, she didn't she didn't get a shine like she later would in Golden Girls. But and even I always one of the adages I have about TV is, yes, it's true. What Betty says very graciously about writing. And she's so right. If it's not on the page, it's not on the stage. But I also think the flip side of that is, when there's a show that's not well-written and you know it's kind of mediocre and you watch it because it's the only thing on or wherever reason you watch it, when you see an actor who's fantastic and everything else, at least that's something to hang your hat on for that episode. Like, okay, this person will probably elevate the material in at least one little spot that'll make me laugh more than I usually do. Right. And that's kind of how I felt about Betty on Mama's Family. It was a mediocre show. I know a lot of people love it and they'll be mad at me for saying that. There's kind of a cult little bit of a cult around that show now too. Right. But um, it was, to me, it was a mediocre show, but when I see Betty show up, I'd be like, Oh good. Right. Right. A little bright spot in the show that was. Eh, yeah. Yeah. Eh, exactly. Yeah. I get it. You know, now we've spoken of course in the past on golden girls, golden palace, but is there anything you want to get in there about Betty on those shows or as, as Rose? Well, I just think that again, r- what Betty did with, um, with 
Rosen Island was something, as Rue said, it was something she never could have done. And it's been said, and including in my book, it's been reported that Betty was originally going to be Blanche and Rue was going to be Rose. And that was because after actually, actually kind of looking all around the country at women of a certain age to play these roles, the Golden Girls team ended up casting along very well-known and traditional lines. And so they wanted, well, from the beginning, Susan Harris wanted B to play Dorothy because Susan Harris had written for Maud and wanted a strong Maud type as Dorothy. And when you look at Blanche, who just recently played, quote unquote, a slut on television, Betty, and she did it so beautifully. When you look at at Rose, who they were viewing as kind of a, a meeker character, for lack of a better word, who just played that? Well, Rue did on Mama's Family. And so they really were going to cast it that much more traditional way. And Jay Sandrich, the director of the pilot, was the one who had a vision that it would be better the other way around. And Rue had not wanted to be Rose, but had learned that if she didn't take the role of Rose, she couldn't be on the show. And so she had acquiesced, even though she wasn't happy about it. And Jay said to Rue, I want you to go in the other room and try, do me a favor, humor me study the, the uh, Blanche lines instead. And Rue, of course, was like, okay. And when they when she rehearsed Blanche and was so good as Blanche, Jay said, took it upon himself, I'll be the one to tell Betty I want you to switch. And when he first told Betty, Betty wasn't happy about it. She went along with him because she's a team player, but she didn't know what she was going to do with Rose. And the the, the long shot, the, the, the end of that story is that Rue said to me, and I've heard her say it other times too, that, Thank God, because Betty did something magical with Rose that Rue said she would never have known how to do, which was Betty, of course, being a brilliant woman, when you talk to her in real life, there's that twinkle in her eye where she's five steps ahead of you and there's a joke in her head and she's she's being polite, but she's also thinking of a way that she's going to twist this interaction and, and just you see the, the, the intricate machinery in her eyes. And yet the moment they yelled action for Rose, her face went totally blank. And Rue said she, Betty knew how to drain the light and intelligence out of her eyes for when she was playing Rose <laughs> and just really take everything literally like Rose would and not show the, the comic genius that was going on inside her head. Right. Um, and, and that was something that Rue said she just wouldn't have known how to do, how to turn it on and off like that. So therefore, the casting was correct. <laughs> yeah, so the casting was correct. Right, absolutely, you know. Uh, now, the two shows, obviously, Golden Palace only lasted a season, but right from there, she seemed to go over to Bob, the that last Bob Newhart sitcom. Yes, yes, which I wish had gotten more of a shot. It, Me it, too. Uh, Me too. Yeah. Yeah, you know, Betty had a couple of 90s sitcoms that were either she was brought in to rescue a show like with Bob, or it was probably just trying to capture, uh, capitalize on Betty's popularity. Like, she did a show with Marie Osmond called Maybe This Time. And I don't think they were necessarily the best conceived roles or shows, but it's very hard, like, like in the case with Bob to come onto a show that's floundering for no fault of anyone's because Bob Newhart is a genius too. Right. A show that's floundering and try to reconceive it. And that's a lot of pressure to put on an actor. And so Betty came into Bob and it's what ended up being its last season as a, as this new character and it was really to kind of refocus the show. And that's a lot to try to accomplish. And it's very hard to turn a ship around once it's sailing. 
And so I, you know, I don't think it worked. Now, ironically, probably, if you look at the ratings numbers for Bob in that era, what was that like 20 years ago almost? Right. They were if you if you got those numbers now, you'd be a monster hit. But back then, I guess whatever numbers they got were not enough to convince. I think it was CBS that uh, that they should keep going with that formula. You know, people say that all the time. It's like, if it got the numbers, I'm not putting you down for saying this. People say, if it got yeah. the numbers today that, you know, that it got that, well, sure, because nothing gets those numbers anymore except maybe the Big right. Bang Right, well, that's theory. what I mean. Yeah. It's but just it's just crazy. funny to yeah. talk about how, oh, that show couldn't be rescued when Betty came on. And then you look at the numbers, you'd be like, oh, my God, that couldn't be rescued. Right. Now people would kill for that. Oh, yeah. And that was only, you know, within the 21st century. Right. right? Wasn't that like early 2000s? The, uh, Bob was uh, 1993, actually. Oh, that Bob was 1993. Yeah. Oh, the one where he was the cartoonist. Okay, you're yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Because sorry, I'm thinking of hard was Ladies that. Man was the. Yeah, no, Ladies Man was the one where she came in. Also, uh, where she was, she was on from the start. But Ladies Man was the later 90s one. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. Okay. 1993. If you got those ratings from 1993, now sure. Yeah. So of course. So all right, and you brought it up, but it follow he she followed Bob with maybe this time the Marie Osmond show. Yeah. Yeah, I don't even think I ever saw maybe this time because it came and went pretty quickly. Yeah. Um, but it seemed, and I I say this as somebody who hasn't seen it, it seemed a little bit. When I see Betty, I want her comic genius and I want wit from Betty, and maybe this time seemed like it was maybe a little bit of a soft family show. Right. And that's just not my thing. And so, and I think maybe it's not what the audience expected from Betty either. Maybe that's part of the problem. I don't know. I just know that it only lasted one season. Yeah. All right. Ladies man. Yes. Now that show I watched, that was a show that had an amazing cast and I can't say that it wasn't a success creatively. It's just ladies man. When now that premiered in what, like 98, 99, I'm going to look at uh, 99, 99. It premiered at a time and it's still true of, of CBS and their comedies. It's tough to, if when you get slotted on CBS as one of their sitcoms, those are, that's prime shelf space. And it still is, even though everybody says network is dying and sitcom, multi-cam sitcoms are old fashioned, blah, blah, blah. You hear that all the time. Yeah. It's still the case. It's still the case with CBS shows that you have a high bar to meet, whatever the ratings of the day are. CBS is one of the highest bars of that era. And, uh, the, that was the case with Ladies Man, and it had a great cast. It had Alfred Molina and Sharon Lawrence and Dixie Carter and uh, and Betty, and then Rue McClanahan made an appearance, and Estelle Getty came on for an appearance, and it just you can't load a show with more TV stars than that did. Yeah, and it was of its moment. It was talking about a man surrounded by a bunch of women. I think we were getting into the age of of women having more power and more say, and uh, and and claiming equal rights for men, and so I, I and oh, Park Overall was in it. I forgot. I can talk about more people from the the uh, the the uh, Golden Girls sphere, the Golden Girls verse. Right. <laughs> so, and, and Kaylee Cuoco was in eight episodes. I mean, it was just, you can't load that with more TV stars. It just I think was a case of the bar on CBS for ratings is very high, and they CBS always tends to have this thing where they have their tentpole shows which they put at like eight and nine o'clock on their comedy nights. And then they always seem to have the eight 30 and nine 30 hammock slots as they, as they used to be called in TV scheduling, where as a show, you have the benefit of having a big lead in audience 
And then you also have the curse of having a big lead in audience because you have to retain it. Right. And if you're in that 8.30 or 9.30 slot, you have, you're handed a big audience and you have to keep it and hand it back over to the next show after you. And if they sense as one of those new freshmen in one of those hammock slots that you're not destined to someday take over the tentpole slot when one of those shows retires and you can't retain the audience to hand it over to the next show, they, they sense a trend that it's just never going to happen, which they are not necessarily always right, of course. They, they give you the axe after just a season or so. Oh, yeah. And it's, CBS is tough because they have canceled a lot of shows that I didn't agree with. They canceled The Class. I think that was like 2006 That was or good, The Class. I like that show. It was a great show and yeah. it had a great concept. And all of those people went on to greatness. Yeah. And it was just a case of they, they, it was one of their high hopes. They set a huge bar for it. It wasn't meeting that those high expectations. It was a show in between two other great shows that were doing well. And they gave it the axe. And the, the, if you went through and made a list of all the CBS 830 and 930 shows that died early deaths and were somewhat, I'm not all of them, but some of them were good. This is one of them. Yeah, absolutely. So, all right. Uh, what do I have next? I have uh, Lee's. She did a recurring role on that '70s show. Anything about that? Stick yeah, out? I don't know anything about that. I mean, I all right. I then. didn't watch that '70s <laughs> show, but I know she did that role. Yeah. Okay. Boston Legal was another one where she had a recurring. Oh role. my god. Oh my yeah. god. <laughs> I well, I love Boston Legal, and you know she just that show was unique in how it combined law and comedy, and other shows have done. A little bit of that, but I just, I was really impressed with Boston Legal, how they managed to do it. And Betty brought a lot of the comedy, even though she was playing the, you know, an assistant at a law firm. Uh, she, she was sometimes uh, was involved in the cases. I think there was a case where she was maybe the, uh, the, um, person suing. I can't remember, but, uh, she, she, I, there's that scene that no one can forget where she clocks Leslie Jordan with a frying pan. Right. She knocks him cold. And I think she was being accused of being like a black widow, if I remember what her storyline was there, Catherine, her character. Um, so I just remember that Betty was a comic light in that show. And that show, again, that had actors like William Shatner, like Candace Bergen, who can do both comedy and drama so expertly. And so the show was able to weave both in. And then Betty is another one. She can certainly do drama, but she also could bring a quirky moment to a show like that. She was perfect for it. Yeah. Well, that was a quirky show anyway, Boston Legal. But, yeah. You know. Yeah, that's what I mean. It was quirky because of the comedy and drama. You never knew what you were going to get. Yeah. And but Shatner, Betty was, Betty's great at that. And Shatner with that constant, Denny Crane. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like they knew, obviously that was done for comic effect. It was no accident. Yeah. But yet those cases were very smart and very intricate. Yeah. You know, you can't say that they were goofy cases like on, shows that are complete spoofs. Like I loved trial and error. Um, but that those courtroom scenes were complete spoofs. There was yeah, no real law going on. And then you look at something like Boston legal, which managed to be really funny. And yet the cases were really real smart, intricate cases. David E. Kelly. Thank you very much. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's what he does. Well, yep, exactly. Now for someone like uh, of Betty's age and how long she'd been in the industry and stuff, a little surprising. She would then turn around and, and end up on a soap opera. Bold and the beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. I think Betty just, maybe, maybe not at this moment because she is, I think, taking some well-deserved time and, and focusing on animals, which is her real love. 
but I think for most of her life, Betty has been happy to work and also kind of happy to break some barriers. I think as she got older, I think she was very proud of the fact that, Hey, I'm 88 and I got asked to do SNL. Hey, I'm 88 and I'm starting a new sitcom hot in Cleveland that could run for years. And I think same thing with the bold and the beautiful. I think that she was like, it was a great opportunity to work. It was something she could stretch a little bit in. And it was on CBS where she had a pretty good relationship. Right. So I, I think that, she took to it very well. And, and it, what's ironic is, of course, she was playing an older character, being an older actress. And look how many years she survived that character by. That character got killed off of old age like 10 years ago or something like, like that. Cancer or Pretty something, incredible. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah right. something that had to do with being older. Yep. And, you know, that character died. And Betty, knock on wood, I'm knocking as I say it, ticks on. Yep, she certainly does. Uh, and you brought it up, of course, but then her last show was Hot in Cleveland. Uh, yeah. So how about that one? Any thoughts on that? Well, I, Hot in Cleveland, she brought the magic to that show and and really made it kind of a Golden Girls, whether it was intentional or not. I think in our minds, she made it that. I remember when Betty did the pilot and she insisted, they had to kind of talk her into, oh, can you play this part in the pilot? And I don't think that it was meant to be a regular part. Ironically, a lot like the Sophia part in Golden Girls, meant to be a guest star in the pilot. And Betty, I think, somewhat reluctantly did it um, because she was 88. And and I don't know whether she thought, oh, you know, why do a one-off because I'm not going to do a series. I think that's probably where her mind was. Right. And then I remember Entertainment Tonight covering the backstage of the show. And you could just see the glee on Betty's face. What a great time she was having. because She was playing with three sitcom veterans who were also fabulous. Yeah. And had instant rapport with them. And as Betty says, I don't know if she said it in that ET report or said it later, that the moment they said, would you like to come back and do this full time? She's like, yes. Right. She she completely changed her mind. She didn't hesitate. She completely changed her mind because she'd had a ball. And that, of course, Betty brought magic to that character, an older character who, who in that, at that age can memorize lines. Never mind, have that comic timing. Oh yeah, that she brought to that character, and that probably no one else could have done, and made that show more magical for it. Made it seem like a Golden Girls air, which maybe it would have seemed less had she not literally been there. And the show embraced that. I mean, they. I remember one time they did. It's in my book, the Celebration Theater, which is run by um, Todd Milliner and his husband. Todd being one of the producers of Hot in Cleveland. Uh, the Celebration Theater was doing a fundraiser. So they were going to um, be moving to a new building. And they had the idea, let's do a Golden Girls script reading with the cast of Hot in Cleveland. And so on the Hot in Cleveland set, they did a table read of a, a season one episode written by Stan Zimmerman where Rose's mother comes to visit. And what was fun was Betty got to choose which character she wanted to play. Right. And... So Betty chose Dorothy. And so after that night, Betty was able to say, in a way, she's played all four Golden Girls. She was Rose. She started out playing Blanche. In Golden, in Hot in Cleveland, she was the Sophia character. And now she played Dorothy. <laughs> That's interesting. So it really, that show, at, with the addition of Betty, certainly embraced the heritage of the Golden Girls. One of the reasons why I think it was an instant hit both having Betty and having the Golden Girls kind of imprimatur on it. Um, and uh, what I found so interesting about that show is the way they all got along, 
and had instant chemistry. And clearly those three other women who themselves are TV stars who have impressive resumes, but they revered Betty and her comic timing. And yet they were all equals when they were friends and when the cameras weren't on, because I hung out with them a little bit, observing them for the book and for other reasons. Uh, And I also thought it was so interesting that the show knew what a treasure they had in Betty. First of all, Betty graffitied the wall backstage when they were shooting, (laughs) I think the pilot and signed her name. She signed her name with a magic marker and the date. And that became so famous. People took, I took pictures of it. I think I put a picture in the book and they saved that graffiti when they moved out. I think they cut the, cut it out of the wall. And so everybody knew it was momentous to have Betty doing what would probably be her last regular sitcom role. Yeah. And so we're celebrating it from the, from moment one. And then the show took, treated her like a Fabergé egg in all the best ways, not in ways that probably made her feel like a fragile old lady, but they did know that, you know, after the tape night, when people would swarm down on the floor, they would, you know, they, they'd keep the, the hordes from attacking Betty because, of course, everybody in that audience wanted a piece of Betty White for their moment with her. Right. And so they would they would be able to protect her in terms of that and, and respect her age. But they also knew, you know, use as much Betty as you can because she's the, she's such magic. And so that's why that show, I think, if you look at the, the production schedule, they produced five seasons of that show within four calendar years, which is unusual. Normally, of course, shows start filming in July or August. They start airing in September. They stop filming in like March. They stop airing in like May. They take the summer off and then they start again. So it's really done on a kind of calendar year basis. But when you've got an 88-year-old star and you want to make sure she's in every moment of your series and every last episode, you speed up things. And so they really accommodated her. I don't think that she demanded it, but they accommodated her because they were, I think they so appreciated what they had with her yeah. that they wanted to make sure she was in that show from start to finish. Yep. So when you, when you look at all of these shows and all these years that Betty White uh, has been a part of our lives, really our pop culture lives, what is, what, how do you, what do you feel her legacy is then besides the individual shows themselves? I mean, an overall legacy, what do you think it is? It's so hard to tell because, you know, you, it's hard to have perspective of something while you're still in it. And thank God we're still in it. Yeah. But I think that it's obvious that, first of all, one of the things people will talk about with Betty is longevity. That who is ever going to have a 70 plus year TV career? Right. Again, maybe no one ever. Because Betty started so young and she continued going well into old age and not only kept the career going, but the talent hasn't diminished that if anything, she got better in her sixties than she had ever been before. And that's another thing that's so unusual about her career that she got her big breaks in her fifties and sixties in television and became a household name at that age. Yeah. She was probably, I wasn't around, but she was probably a household name somewhat in the fifties and sixties, but not like she was from Mary Tyler Moore and golden girls after. And when she started on Mary Tyler Moore, she was born in 1922. She started that show after 1972. So she was in her fifties, golden girl. She was in her sixties. And that's when she really hit her, I think, performance peak as well. Yeah. And we don't give in television and in entertainment people, particularly women, a chance to shine in their fifties and sixties. A lot of times people are told they're washed up by then. And she was really kind of in a way just getting started, even though she'd had a career, a career she was really revving it up at that age. 
So that's something I think that we'll all remember that not only did she have longevity, but it wasn't a case of, oh yeah, she just made cameo appearances and capitalized on love. We loved her from something 50 years ago. I know she's no good anymore, but it's just out of nostalgia. Wasn't that at all. Nobody was humoring Betty White. It was that she's still damn good. So I think that that's probably the legacy of longevity and strength well into your, the latter part of your career. I mean, you add to that beauty, you add uh, comic timing that, again, uh, everybody appreciates when you put it in the context of the Golden Girls. People talk about their, all of them their com- and their comic timing, including B. Arthur. So in a way, it, it, it's not fair that she should be talked about more for her comic timing, probably, but because B. had such great timing, too, and so did Rue and Estelle. But I think that, yeah, it, those are probably the two things I would say that we're probably going to talk about about Betty, that longevity and strength and then comic timing. All we can say is Betty White forever. Oh, and please subscribe to this podcast, tell your friends about us, and give us a five-star review. Thanks very much for listening, and we'll see you next time.